Welcome to day 158 of The Story That Changes Everything. Our readings for today are Job chapters 22 through 24 and Psalm 67. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The final round of speeches and Job's final responses begin with chapter 22. This third cycle of speeches is shorter than the previous two. The heart of the evidence has already been laid out. Now it's time for the closing arguments. Eliphaz speaks first again. He's no longer the gentle mystic of chapters 4 and 5. He's irked at Job's defiance toward God and toward his friends, so Eliphaz goes directly on the attack. The first 11 verses of the chapter recount what Eliphaz assumes must be Job's list of sins. Now, he gives this without evidence, because we remember we readers know that Job is innocent, but Eliphaz accuses him nonetheless of ignoring the thirsty, the hungry, the widows, and the orphans. These must be the kinds of sins that Job refuses to confess. In verses 12 through 20, Eliphaz turns to what he thinks Job must be saying about God and God's judgment. In the previous chapter, Job argued that too often the righteous suffer and the wicked seem to be blessed. Eliphaz assumes that Job must think that God is so far removed from the world that he can't even discern clearly what's taking place on earth, or perhaps he thinks God doesn't even care. Eliphaz equates this way of thinking with the way wicked people think. The wicked think that God, if there is one, is so far away that they can do anything and get away with it, but they can't. God sees and judges. Therefore, Eliphaz ends his final speech with one more invitation for Job to repent. Job needs to return to God before it's too late. Job's response comes in chapters 23 and 24. Job does not answer Eliphaz's accusations directly, but goes back to his desire that God show up and vindicate him. He wants to see God face to face and be exonerated before he dies. He knows that people may hear his demand that God appear as an act of rebellion, but that doesn't matter to him anymore at all. If he can just find God and present his case, he believes God will acknowledge Job's righteousness and deliver him from further suffering. The latter half of chapter 23 is Job acknowledging that he simply cannot find God. He keeps looking in all directions, but to no avail. In spite of his confidence in his own innocence, Job remains terrified that God will remain silent and Job's pain will just go on and on. Because God is free and sovereign and can do whatever God chooses, Job's not confident that God will make an appearance. In chapter 24, Job turns to the sins Eliphaz named earlier, but he refuses to admit that he has committed those sins. However, he agrees that the wicked are guilty of such despicable acts. However, he disagrees with Eliphaz that the wicked are always punished for their dark deeds. There's a problem in the text of the chapter that stumps Old Testament scholars. It has to do with verses 18 through 24 in chapter 24. If you read the text carefully, you will notice that Job is going along listing all the things the wicked do and get away with. But then at verse 18, the tone changes dramatically. Job says, they are scum on the water surface. In these verses, 18 through 24, it sounds as though Job has suddenly departed from his previous argument about how the wicked are blessed rather than punished But then, suddenly, he starts saying the very things his friends have been saying in their speeches about how God overturns or turns over and judges the wicked. He says this in verse 24, They are exalted for a time, but no longer. What gives? 
the two most prominent and perhaps most likely answers to the dilemma that is verses 18 through 24 is that chapters 24 and 25 have some scribal or textual transmission issues. One possibility is that verses 18 through 24 belong where they are, but either should have included or originally included a statement from Job like, you have said to me, dot, 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 or I wish that God would say or do, dot, 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 so that he is articulating the argument that his friends have given to him. But another possibility, and the one that my former professor, Dr. Wendell Bowes, argues for, is that at some point damage was done to the text and that these verses were added to chapter 24 when they may originally have been part of chapter 25, the next argument from Bildad. In fact, if you look in your Bible, you may notice that chapter 25 is much shorter than we as readers have gotten used to in the pattern of this book. So it's very possible, argues Bose and others, that chapter 24, verses 18 through 24, ought to be the conclusion of Bildad's second speech in chapter 25. And that is, in fact, how Dr. Bose treats them in his commentary on Job. Now, there's obviously no way to know that for certain, and there are other theories about how we ought to think about or read these odd verses. But whatever the case, it's clear that they are, at best, very awkward verses given the case that Job is making against God. But we'll get to Bildad's last speech tomorrow. Our brief psalm for today, Psalm 67, is a psalm of praise that God does judge the nations fairly. However, notice that the first verse is an invocation. It goes like this, Let God grant us grace and bless us. Let God make his face to shine on us so that your way becomes known on earth. This is kind of like Job's prayer that God's face would shine on him and give vindication and direction and peace. But what he feels so deeply in the moment is not God's face, but God's absence. The book of Job wants us to wrestle with the sense of God's absence. The sense of God's absence can be very real for us. We can at times experience what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul, We aren't yet to the place in Job where God makes an appearance, but as Christians, we are reminded that Christ experienced his own sense of God's absence when he called out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To paraphrase one of my favorite theologians, Jürgen Moltmann, we can now say there is no place called God forsaken because at the cross, God in Christ has gone to the place of God forsakenness. Or to say it in the language of Job, there is now no place called the absence of God, because God in Christ has gone to the places of God's absence. (laughs) This is really good news. But before God appears to Job, we have a handful of dialogues left and some more of God's absence to deal with. Tomorrow, we're reading chapters 25 through 27. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.